What a lovely day outside. What a lovely worship service so far. Um, thank you guys so much, worship team, for, for everything that you do. It was, it was fantastic. Thank you, Nathan and Ariel DeMartins, for an awesome uh, communion uh, lesson as well as contribution. Um, man, it just really shows um, just how much you put into that, and we really appreciate that. Um, let us turn our Bibles to Matthew 5. Um, so we're starting a new series today, The World Turned Upside Down. And today's lesson is entitled, World Values Upside Down. You know, the way we, we live um, in the kingdom of God contradicts the life that we live um, in the world, or the life that is lived in the world, I should say. Um, as you know, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are experiencing great difficulty right now. Uh, prayer goes out to the citizens of the Ukraine. And, and I want to show another update from our churches in the Ukraine. And one of the things it shows is just how we rally together and serve one another in the kingdom of God. And I pray you'll decide to, to help as well. Let's go ahead and take a look at this video. Mike Tolliver. On February 23rd, Russia sent their military forces into the neighboring country, Ukraine. We're now in early March. Buildings have been in bomb shelters, smoldering cars line the pavement, and lines extend from supermarkets into the streets. Some are required to stay in the country by law and are driving from town to town, seeking safety from the fighting fleeing from tanks and explosions. These brothers and sisters are in grave danger and need our prayers. Others, however, have escaped the country for safety. Hope Worldwide has sent a global disaster response team to the neighboring country of Moldova to provide technical assistance, funding for tents, food, water, and other. Hope Worldwide is coordinating with the European Mission Society, or EMS, and the ICOC churches in Eastern Europe to ensure physical and spiritual needs are being met in the most effective and efficient manner. The plans are both short-term and long-term. Here's Sean Wooten, who is on the ground in Moldova and helping coordinate shelter for the refugees. Uh, the Kiev church, uh, almost every member goes to bomb shelters on a daily basis. Um, we have churches in Kharkov where it's been bombed uh, severely. Um, lots of needs. So please join us for prayer. That's my first request because um, God works through prayers and we need God at this hour. Right now, we've been able to take in, I think, already 80 or 90 disciples who have come across the border. We've given them refuge. Uh, we give them a bed to sleep in. Uh, we're able to feed them. Um, we have donations coming in. So we've been able to take care of our brothers and sisters that have crossed the border. I'm so proud of our fellowship at this hour. I'm so thankful for all the, the Christians and, and people that are giving their hearts to helping people uh, pray. Our thanks to your generous donation. Sorry about that, guys.
Sorry about the sound there. Um, one of the things he's talking about now is that uh, they asked for a continue for us to continue to give, continue to pray uh, for the Ukraine. Um, that uh, there, what what we've uh, the church has been able to do is is um, is house many of those who have um, gone from the Ukraine to Poland, Moldova, and different places like that, and as well as um, feed many many families and children and and so want to continue to to serve and do that the best we can as a as a as a global church um, and so if you can give then give um, but if you can't then uh, prayer is just as powerful um, what I'll go ahead and do is I'll post this video on GroupMe so that you can watch it again and um, if any of, if any of you uh, who are visiting uh, with us today would like to see that video. I'm sure somebody could pass it on to you as well. All right, so we do apologize about the technical difficulty there. Sorry. And so we have to get our insides right so that we can turn the world right side up. The world is upside down right now, but in order to turn the right side up, we have to uh, help ourselves, right? And so we're gonna we're gonna look at in this series, we're gonna look at four different lessons. The first is today's, which is world values upside down, right? And in this lesson, we're gonna talk about introducing the greatest sermon ever. Uh, this lesson will will help prepare us to get our hearts transformed by Jesus' sermon. And the purpose is to, is to get your hearts ready for something life-changing in this sermon. Um, lesson two, the law of Moses inside out. The law of Moses, it expand, it's expanded and explained in that lesson. Um, what do the words of Moses actually mean? Lesson three, holiness, right side up. In that lesson, we're going to talk about a life of holiness illustrated in the scriptures. And this isn't just about raw theology. It's about practicals as well. It can be put into action, right? And um, what does the kingdom life look like? And Nathan Martin is actually going to be uh, speaking and teaching us in that lesson. Um, lesson four, decisions. Inside right, right, is is how to how to end the greatest sermon ever. Get your insides right, so that you can turn the world right side up. Jesus makes clear what we must decide. You know, this sermon is the longest recorded message of Jesus. It is considered like the Magna Carta of of kingdom of the kingdom of God. It's, it's what the kingdom of God should look like, right? It's going to be displayed for us in the sermon. It's also, it also serves as the greatest work of lived out theology, where our actions live out this theology. The introduction, the, the introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached is the Beatitudes, and we'll see that the world disregards what the Lord regards, right? That, that's what makes it different. That's what holiness is. It's being separate. 
in just a handful of verses, Jesus teaches us nine attitudes that God values and two realities that he defines. He lays out a high standard for each of us. You're not condemned if you're not there, but it is the goal nevertheless. The sermon is directed not to people of the world, but to Jesus' disciples. We see these crowds that follow Jesus, and they're mostly his disciples, right? They're following him, right? There are one or two in there that may be sprinkled in that crowd that may, that may, fall, that may follow or listen to him, I should say, that may not be disciples. But for the most part, they are disciples. And like anyone else, the natural question on the hearts of the Jews would be, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? Am I righteous enough to enter the kingdom of God? And the sermon showed how a person who is in right relationship with God should conduct his or her life. You know, this sermon also applies to Jesus' followers today, for it demonstrates the standard of righteousness God demands of his people. You know, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus starts with the attitudes we must have in the kingdom of God before he moves on to making demands of his followers. And so what can you say to turn the world right side up? Let us look at what Jesus said. Here's his answer. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And let me just stop there for a second and say, the, when he says because of me, it's because of whatever we do under his name. And people are going to ridicule you inside or outside the church. But blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, we see here that Jesus sits to speak with these crowds on the mountain. You know, this was customary for rabbis of the day. Right to sit and speak, to sit and teach those who followed them. And Jesus starts the sermon by making the realities of the kingdom very clear. And he says, blessed are you, happy are you, privileged are you if you do these things. The attitudes of, of the world and the kingdom 
and the attitudes of the world and kingdom citizens are completely divergent. They develop in different ways. Our attitudes should develop in different ways than the world does. The world discards what the, what the Lord regards. And the result of this is a distinction between God's, between God's people and the world's people. There needs to be this obvious distinction where you are different. You're not the same. You are holy, thus you are separate. You know, imagine you're taking steps toward the kingdom. Each one builds on the next. We're taking these steps towards the kingdom of God, and each step builds on the next one. This should be very inspirational. You know, the points of this sermon build on one and the other. You know, we, we have talked about the Beatitudes many times here in our church. Even um, just, just last year, I believe, we, we, in the park, we had a message on the Beatitudes as well. Right? Uh, a few years ago, we read a book called Momentum which talked about the Beatitudes, right? And it talked about one, one verse or Beatitude, one attitude leading to the next. So as we go through these, understand that you can't just, you can't skip over one. You're taking these steps. One leads to another. And so, so we're going to talk about these, these uh, nine attitudes. Well, there are eight attitudes really in nine verses valued by God. And we're going to kind of run through these fairly quickly um, because, you know, it was challenging when we when we talked about, when I was on a webinar with some of the church leaders and we, and we were considering a sermon series in four weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, I was very interested to see how that was going to happen um, because it's, it's a long sermon, <laughs> right? And so we're going to run through some of these Beatitudes this morning uh, to get us started. So the first one is poor in spirit. Right? Poor in spirit. You know, we see our daily need for God. That's what that means. That we see our daily need for God. Are we indeed poor in spirit? Are we impoverished, so to speak? You know, we live in a world that tries to erase the existence of God. But the scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're beggars for God's spirit. Are we begging for God's spirit to light our path? I think if we don't, it's probably because we may not understand that we go to him with empty hands. That we have nothing. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. We have nothing. We go to him with empty hands. And this, this is the first step. You can't jump past this step. It's the first step that we need to take. Don't, don't skip this step, though sometimes it can be the most difficult step to take. Because it requires humility. It requires great humility to, humility to accept our humble place before God, that we come to him empty-handed with nothing. 
But sometimes we want to feel like we have everything. But we come to God with nothing. God's kingdom belongs to these people. God's kingdom belongs to people like this who are poor in spirit. The other thing is those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, we are, we are sinful by nature and are broken before God as human beings. God didn't create us to be, but we just are. And the world, the world brags about sin. You know, we feel the shame and we strive to live differently. We strive to live a better life. As disciples, as Christians, we must strive to do better. And behave in this way, God will bring us comfort if we mourn our sin. If we are upset about our sin, God will bring us comfort. Again, the world sees it differently. The world brags about it, but we are upside down in God's kingdom. And so we mourn our sin. That's the second step. See the little guy there in the picture? He's looking at that first step like, oh boy, this is going to be a doozy. It's a long way to go. But we got to take that first and second step. Blessed are those who are meek. You know, the meek shows, the meek show strength under constraint. You know, this is like a horse being controlled by a bridle in her mouth. Horses are powerful. Horses are powerful, but with a bit and bridle, you, children, small person can get on the back of this huge strong horse and control the horse. That's what being meek is all about. Is control is controlled strength. You know Moses for instance. He was pretty powerful. But because of his humility, he controlled his strength. Jesus controlled his strength. For us, when he was accused, he didn't retaliate. He controlled his strength. Life in the kingdom is not about acting tough. The world sees our restraint as weakness. Our power is shown through our trust in God. All we have, all we have should be brought under submission and control of God. Meekness means not asserting my own rights, but living for the glory of God. You know, in the world, we want to, in the world, it's like, okay, well, I have all these rights. In the kingdom of God, yes, you do have rights, but your strength is in not asserting those rights but living for the glory of God and God alone. You know, Christians are to show meekness. 
If you want, you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. It says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, completely humbled and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's being meek. Being completely gentle is being meek. Being patient, bearing with one another in love. Though you know you may have the power to do otherwise. That is being meek. We're prone to be self-willed. We want to do, we want our will. We want things our way. But is that being meek? Psalm 37, 11, it says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. They will inherit the blessings that are here for them on earth. You know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They earnestly desire to become better people. The world sees change to benefit it benefits self. The world, the world wants to change for its benefit. If there's no benefit in it, then the world won't change. They'll stay the same. We seek transformation to become like Christ. And this transformation only comes from God. We've come to him empty-handed, and now we are starving, hungry, and we thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How is your hunger this morning? How is your thirst this morning for righteousness and nothing else? Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or do we hunger and thirst for all sorts of other things that the world has to offer? Are we hungry, thirsty? In the kingdom of God, we're filled by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So merciful, blessed are those who are merciful. They have the freedom to seek retribution, yet show grace instead. The merciful, they have the freedom, even the power to seek retribution, but they don't. They seek grace instead. You know, mercy is when the judge doesn't rightly punish the guilty party. Has the power to do it, but he doesn't. He has mercy. I think being merciful is something that that the world, the churches, we all need to learn, to be better at. Being merciful in your relationships. Are you merciful? Are you merciful with your families? Are you merciful with your children? Are you merciful with your friends, those around you? Blessed are the merciful. 
You know, we show mercy in the kingdom of God to others as God has shown to us. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Do you treat each other as the other person's sin deserves? Somebody wrongs you. Do you treat them as that deserves? Or are we merciful? What a blessing it is to not be treated as our sins deserve. Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. We strive to keep keep our hearts free from the stains of the world. Bitterness. Hatred. We try to keep our hearts free from that. I don't want to be political or anything like that this morning. But I'll tell you what is happening in the Ukraine. It sometimes makes me bitter. Like when I hear it on the, on the news. I get angry. I feel bitter. I feel upset. Partially because... I have brothers and sisters there who are feeling it with husbands having to stay back. They, they want their families to the border of Poland or Moldova and they got to leave them there and have them go because they need to stay and fight. That makes me feel some kind of way. What a blessing. It is if we're pure in heart. You know, living in the world destroys our purity, trust, and innocence. You watch TV, your innocence can be destroyed. You watch the news, your innocence can be destroyed. Certain programs on TV, some music can destroy your innocence. It destroys our purity, our trust. Because of TV, music, even video games sometimes, many have become impure. Many have lost trust. And many have lost their innocence. We seek to keep our hearts clean and free with God in the kingdom. You know, 1 John 3, starting in verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. What a hope we have in Jesus. What a hope we have in Jesus. But we can't allow our life in the world to steal our innocence. We shall be seen by God and we shall see him in all his glory. Blessed are the peacemakers. The lost are in a spiritual battle against the world, but are not subdued by worldly weapons. We make peace by uniting them 
back to the Father. As bitter as some of us may get, guess what? Here is part of the answer. <laughs> we got to be peacemakers in God's kingdom. The world speaks of peace and seeks it through violence, threats, and fear. We preach the gospel. We preach love. We are doing this work of God just like Jesus. We're partners with Jesus in the gospel. The persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness. You know, our ways are misunderstood. We're insulted and ridiculed by the world. They will, know, they will not know us to freely live. They will not allow us to freely live without retaliation. And God's kingdom is a safe haven for us. we got to feel safe in God's kingdom. We are so different than the world, but we got to feel safe in the kingdom of God. You know, the point is so important that Jesus expands on it. Puts it into more, more verses than one. You know, when you are mistreated because of the gospel, you will be richly rewarded by God. You have become like Old Testament prophets. Seek safety in God's kingdom, because you're not going to find it in the world. You know, Jesus camps out here for a moment. But one of the things I really want to harp on this morning we kind of ran through those pretty quick. But I really want us to learn some things from the two realities defined by God. Salt and light. So far we've learned what the kingdom looks like as opposed to the world, right? We've seen that in the Beatitudes and we, we understand that we have to apply those things to our life. But now here's where some more practicals come in that I think is so important for us to grasp to change our lives. These attitudes stand apart from Pharisaic righteousness. You know, people possessing these qualities that I'm about to talk about would naturally stand out in a crowd and will not be understood by others because it's so, it makes you so different. All eight of these steps led up to the kingdom. But what happens as a result of living like this? Kingdom citizens are transformed and thus distinct from the world. You stick out like a sore thumb, which is good. If you want to stick out like a sore thumb, it's good. But some of us, we want to we wanna blend in. Don't blend in. Don't blend into the world. Be obviously, intentionally different. People should look at you and say, man, that person is different. I wonder why. That's a part of your evangelism. If you blend in, something is wrong. If you look like everybody else, something is wrong. 
If you walk like everybody else, something is wrong. If you speak like everybody else, something is wrong. If you react like everybody else, something is wrong. Because what that does, the, the type of kingdom living we have been learning about, being blessed and being privileged, has been pushed to the side if we look like everybody else. The, you know, Jesus uses two analogies to show how we will impact the world around us and stick out. He uses salt and light. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, like, like salt, we have this undeniable impact, provided we maintain our flavor. If we maintain our flavor, we have this undeniable impact in the world where people are like, what is happening? I feel like our churches have had an undeniable impact in the Ukraine. Because they're different. They're doing something contrary to what is happening in the Ukraine. They are bringing people out. Over 1.45 million people left the Ukraine. And so they're helping with that effort. They're bringing people out. They're feeding them. They're putting them up in homes. They're helping them. The ones who are left back in the Ukraine, who said, I am not leaving. I'm going to protect my country. They're having Bible talks. And church. That's an undeniable impact. We're here in America and we're chilling. We're relaxing. And so what happens is our, our saltiness loses flavor sometimes because we're comfortable. We're comfortable. Think about how to talk about with each other, with your friends. How can you talk about maintaining your saltiness? You've got to ask ourselves, do you want low-sodium faith? <laughs> Do you want a low-sodium faith? I mean, seriously, like, like, I don't know what happened in the last, like, what, four months or something? But, boy, I put some pounds on, right? And, and part of it is a lot of sodium, a lot of good stuff I'm eating. I was, my wife is putting her head down because she's like, why are you even talking about 
your weight right now. But it's the truth. And there are things that I got to cut back. And when I cut those things back, I'm like eating the food like, oh, it's so bland. I'm like, oh, geez. Do I, do I, do I, do I want to lose a couple pounds or do I just feel like maybe it's all right? Because I just love the food, man. It's like bland food is like no good. Right? Amen, bro. Bland food is no good. How about a low-sodium faith? No good. How can salt lose its saltiness? It can. It can go bad. We have to maintain our distinctiveness. That is undeniable. If it's not salty, it's bland. Do you want your Christianity to be this way? Bland. If salt is exposed to water or diluted, the sodium chloride can be dissolved and removed. And the salt will will lose its essence or saltiness. It may look the same, but it will lose its saltiness. It will lose its purpose. They use salt for many different reasons, right? To preserve. Also to influence taste. But though it may look the same, it may not be salty anymore. If diluted or if you remove the sodium chloride. We too can look the same on the outside. But if we let our faith become weak, we'll lose our usefulness in the kingdom of God. We'll look the same. And we may even look like the world. We'll look the same on the outside. But will we be effective? Will we have an impact? You know, the, like we talked about, uh, the scripture here talks about you are the light of the world. You know, like light, we're designed to stand out and never be hidden. Why would you turn on the light and hide it? Why would you put it under a bowl? Have any one of you ever did, done that? It just doesn't sound like it makes sense. Oh, I'm going to turn the light on now, and then I'm going to cover it. I'm going to light a candle, and then I'm going to cover it with something. And what happens if you cover a candle? No oxygen gets to it, and it will go out. You suffocate the light, right? So what sense does it make to not have your light shine? God has done amazing things in our lives. But why wouldn't you let your light shine? You're designed to stand out as the light of the world. Not meant to be hidden, but to shine. Your distinctiveness is not meant to be hidden. Salt or light is not meant to be hidden. 
The world needs to see you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Again, we see that displayed in the Ukraine. The light of the world. I bet you some people in Ukraine are wondering what their neighbor is doing. Like, why are you so happy at this time? And it's not a happy like, oh, they're laughing. They're happy in Jesus. And I say these things and I bring up the Ukraine over and over because of where we live today. Privileged, comfortable. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable for God. And that's what it takes to be the salt of the earth. That's what it takes to be the light of the world. Is some uncomfort. Getting out of our comfort zone and realizing that we're in this for a bigger purpose than ourselves. And know that God says, look, if you do this, you are blessed. You are privileged. But in order to get there, we got to have the humility. Blessed is the, is the pure in heart. We have to have the humility to understand that we come to God with empty hands as well. With nothing. As we stand out, we light the path for others to follow. We are designed to stand out. And I pray that in this series, as we go through this series, you ask yourself the question, how can I stand out? How can I do better? Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you overwhelmed? Are you overwhelmed by what we're even talking about this morning? Yes or no? Anyone? Yeah, I'm serious. I'm asking a serious question. Are you overwhelmed by what we're talking about this morning? A little bit. Good. Good. It should be challenging. Because we're being challenged to live a different life. We're being challenged to live different than the world lives. The world who engulfs us every single day. It should be challenging. You walk out right out of these doors into the world. And it should be challenging. And Jesus says here, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. You won't make it up those steps. You won't, you won't get past probably the third step if your righteousness is not different than theirs. Their righteousness was all about show. All about what was on the outside and not what was on the inside. Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living 
as a living sacrifice, holy and, please, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed. You know, for the next month, we want to be want to start reading the Sermon on the Mount together. I'm going to leave this up here, and what you can do is you can take a picture of it or use the, the QR code. And what it is, it's just a plan for us to read the Sermon on the Mount together. You know, we have taken steps, the steps of the Beatitudes, but where does it lead? The kingdom of God was designed to turn the world right side up. Let us embody the attitudes of the kingdom. Let us be, let, 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 let Jesus' life be who we are. Let us embrace the distinction of discipleship. Let us turn this world right side up. Amen. And let us do it together. I pray that we will read together during March and that it will help us to think about some things that we can, we can change in ourselves to be better kingdom dwellers. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.